Last month when I had began preparing for this month, knowing that pastor was going to be gone, I thought maybe we would spend just a couple times in this passage. Uh, but as I began to go deeper and deeper into it, and as God worked in my heart, I realized that there was depths here uh, that really I just couldn't pass over. And once again, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4. And I want to read as you get there. I want to just focus on verses 5 and 6. And then we're going to go ahead and pause and have a word of prayer. Paul says this, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without or outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Father, for the songs that we have sang, beautiful songs. And Father, once again, even that last song, as we come to behold our God. And Father, I pray, would you just open our eyes, open our hearts to see your truth, open our eyes to see our Savior, and Father, do your work which you and you alone can do. And Father, we will make sure that all that happens here this morning, no praise will go toward man, but Father, will go to you and to your Son and to your Spirit who does the work. We love you. We praise you. And Father, we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin a number of weeks ago, Looking at the end of Colossians, we are reminded that we are engaged in a real battle, a battle for the eternal souls of people. And as Paul comes to the end of this book in chapter 4, he tells us to engage in this battle. And first, we engage in this battle in verses 2 through 4 by means of prayer. We spent a couple weeks looking at that, that idea of prayer and what Paul calls us. When we come now into the text we're looking at, Paul moves from the battlefront of prayer to the battlefront of our witnessing. In essence, Paul is going to deal with how do we interact or how do we engage with those who are on the outside. And that's the term that Paul uses. You see, in Paul's mind, there is only two groups of people. Those who are on the inside, who are part of the family of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and those on the outside who have never put their faith in Christ. And even in a group like this, there's only two groups, those on the inside, those on the outside. So Paul writes, and he gives us exhortation on how we engage or how we interact with those who are unbelievers. And in essence, what he says is we engage with them through the witness of our lives. And Paul, when you look at the text, Paul is really going to give four ways that we engage. And I just want to give you these up front in case we're not able to finish. But the first two ways deals with our action. 
He says walk in wisdom. So the first thing we do is we act wisely. The second thing we do is we act redemptively. And then the last two things is how we speak or how we answer people. And so the third one is answer effectively. That's with grace. And the fourth one is answer attractively. That's with salt. And so how do we act wisely? Paul says act wisely toward those that are outside or without. Let me give you a definition of wisdom. And I'm going to look just at really three passages just so we can define wisdom. I think one of the clearest ones that we've already kind of seen in Colossians is found in Colossians 1, verse 9 and 10. And this is a prayer that Paul is given. And Paul prays this. He says, And this I pray, I do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now get this. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul's prayer is that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then verse 10 gives the purpose for that. So that you might walk worthy or walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in everything. So I think a very simple definition at least from this verse of wisdom, is the ability to apply God's truth in every situation to the pleasure of God. It is taking God's truth, and as I walk throughout life, whatever I deal with or whoever I come in contact with, I'm able to apply God's truth in that situation. Now, it goes beyond more than just the actions and the thinking. The second verse is a verse that's very convicting. This is the one in James chapter 3 and verse 17. And let me just read it. It says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Do you see what he said about wisdom? Wisdom was not just simply knowledge, but the qualities or characteristics of God's wisdom are these attitudes. And so wisdom goes beyond just facts and knowledge and living, but really to the source of how do we flesh out these actions with purity, peacefulness, gentleness. Now let me give you one more verse, and then I want to bring it all together to how we apply this in Paul in this letter. The third verse that as my study that once again I, my mind was drawn to was Matthew 10, verse 16. And this is Jesus. And once again, you can turn there. I'll just read it. Jesus says this to his disciples. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocence 
as doves. And so our nature, when, Pete, when Jesus is talking to those who believe in them, our nature is radically different than the unsaved. We are sheep compared to wolves. Now let me ask you this question. When a sheep or a wolf looks at a sheep, what does he think? Lunch, right? I mean, a sheep, and of course Jesus defines the sheep as one who hears the voice of the shepherd and follows the shepherd. A wolf acts very differently than the sheep. And so Jesus is saying, as I'm sending you out as sheep in the wolves, and what Paul now is doing is how do we as sheep win the wolves? All right, and there's a philosophy out there that if we're going to win the wolves and make them become like sheep, then we need to act like a wolf. You know, so I go on Amazon and I buy the wolf costume. And the wolf costume comes, I put the wolf costume on, I go and I do what wolves do. I howl like them, I run like them, I play like them. And the idea is, if I can become friends with the wolf, then I will slowly call one of the wolves over and say, hey, come here, I got a secret to tell you. And I unzip a little bit of the costume. I'm really not a wolf, I'm a sheep. And we think that by doing that, we will win the wolf to become a sheep. And what do the wolves, when they look at the sheep, what do they think? Lunch. You don't win the wolf like that. Ironically, what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying is that when you live like the sheep, following the shepherd wisely, with the attitudes of a believer, a sheep believer, pure, peaceable, gentle. And although the wolf might despise you at first, eventually the wolf is going to look at you and go, you know what, that sheep's got something I don't have, and I want it. That's the irony. And so Paul is saying, as you and I live and act throughout this life, live in such a way that brings pleasure to God in every situation we do with the right heart attitude. And what's going to happen? Unbeliever will see you and they'll say, you know what, that, that Johnny, I've been watching him for a long time. I've watched how he handles his marriage. I've watched how he handles his children. I've noticed that when he's going through trials, he's got something that I don't have. I think I'm going to go find out what that is. So Paul begins the exhortation by saying, act wisely. And if you act wisely, it lays the foundation to be a gracious witness. So he says, act wisely. And he doesn't stop there. He moves on to that with the second act, action, act redemptively. Notice what it says there in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, 
And then in the King James, redeeming the time. Or your version might have taking advantage of every opportunity. And that's what it means. The word redeem there means to buy up. And in essence, what Paul is saying is buy up or take advantage of every opportunity that comes your way to show Christ. Now, you might remember that back in verse 3, Paul said, pray for those opportunities. Now he is saying, take full advantage of those opportunities. In essence, what Paul is getting at is that we need to make the gospel witness one of the chief priorities of our lives. As I was studying that this week, I thought, well, you know, that, that seems simple enough. But as I thought through my own life, I realized that it's not simple at all. Why? And as I was going through my daily activities, I think the reason it's difficult is because the way that our culture is governed and the way that my brain is wired is to be project or task-driven not people and relationship-driven. Let me, let me illustrate this, because I think this really illustrates what we find in the American culture. I get up in the morning, and I think to myself, okay, I want to be, I have a goal, I want to be to work by 7.30 or 7.40. And so my kids, I get all my kids up if they're not already up, and all of my speech, all of my activity is hurrying them to get out of the house so that I can get to the office at a decent time. Then to my dismay, I get into my vehicle, which I won't name who's been driving it, and there's no gas, there's no fuel. And so I then have to stop at the gas station, which is an irritation to me, because I have a task to fulfill. And while I'm getting gas, there comes another car, drives up, and out jumps Martin. Now, I don't know Martin. I made that name up. But there's Martin. And I make the mistake to say, hey, Martin, how are you doing? And Martin tells me, not good. And I think to myself, okay, do I jump in or do I stay out? Well, I've got a task. I've got to get to the office. And so I say, well, sorry to hear that, Martin. Uh, have a good day. And I get in my car. Why? Because I won't say this out loud. Martin is an obstacle at that moment for me to achieve my goal, which is get to work. And so... I start driving. If you're going slower than me, you're an obstacle. And I get to here and everything's crazy. I spend my day fulfilling all of my tasks and all of my projects. And then I have to run to the office store very quickly to get something. And I run into Thomas. And I make the mistake. Thomas, how are you doing? And to my horror, Thomas tells me how he's doing. His family's not doing well. His business isn't doing well. And once again, I ask the question, do I jump in or do I stay out? Come back, say, good day, Thomas. 
come back, finish the work, go home. And what happens when we get home? There's an old book, and in that book it talks about the decline of the front porch. It used to be in the 60s, 70s, early on. The front porch was in front. You would sit out there and you would talk to people as they would walk by. Over the years, the front porch has moved to the backyard, and in its place is a garage. And so what do we do? We come home, open the garage door up, I drive in, I close the garage door, and I go into my house and no one sees me all day. And everything that I've done that day was very task-oriented, and I missed all of the opportunities. Now, what I'm not saying, don't go into work tomorrow at 11 and your boss says, hey, why weren't you here by 8? Well, Pastor Lee preached a great message yesterday, and he said we're to take the opportunities. That's not what I'm saying. How can you respond in that? Martin, Thomas, I'm so sorry to hear what's going on. Can you give me your number? I've got a free time this afternoon. I want to take you out for coffee. And I want to hear your story. And then I want to tell you a little bit of my story. But then I want to tell you God's story. The greatest news of all. Take the opportunities. Be redemptive. One of our coworkers when we were in Zambia had a sign in his office Every time you walked into this office, it read this. Human interruptions are divine appointments. Take the opportunity. And so now when people see our actions in wisdom, when they see our actions in redeeming, taking advantage of the opportunity, then what happens? Look at verse 6. Paul says this, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And Look at this last phrase. So that you may know how you ought to answer every man. When they look at your life, they're going to come and they're going to ask you questions about your life. And what Paul then goes on is he says when they do that, Answer effectively and answer attractively. Now, let me give you another verse that I think expands what Paul is talking about here. This is a verse that you're familiar with. It's actually 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Let me just read that. Peter dealing with believers who are being persecuted for their faith. And Peter says this. But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, blessed are you. And then he says this, Do not be afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. And you do it with meekness and fear. And so Peter begins and he says, don't fear, don't fear like the world fears. 
And I think if Peter were here today, in 2021, he would say, believers, don't fear as the world fears. What are we afraid of today? What is the world afraid of today? Well, we're fearful of who's running Washington. I mean, that's something to be fearful, right? Especially some of the laws being passed. We're fearful of what's happening in China. There's fearfulness of what's going on with the climate. There's fearfulness, and especially right now with the diseases that could cause death. And Peter says, don't fear like that. Why? Well, because we've read our Bibles. We know the end, don't we? We know that God is providentially working all things for his eternal purpose and goals. It doesn't mean we stick our head in the sand and act ignorant or ignore it. But we know the end. And so someone comes up to you and they say, you know, I've been watching you and you don't respond the same way that I do. You don't have the same fear that I do. Why not? And you go, well, let me tell you why. I know how things end. I know that God originally created a perfect world. I know that sin came into this perfect world and brings destruction and death. But I also know that God answered his solution for sin was sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And I know there is coming a day in which Jesus is going to come back and make everything perfect. He goes, oh, wow, you know a lot. I go, yeah, I do know a lot. But you know there is something I should fear? Well, what's that? What Jesus says, fear not them that can kill the body, but him that can destroy the soul. You see, I don't fear the day before my death, but we should Take heed and fear the moment after my death. Why? Because this life is temporary. Your death could happen in an instant, just like that. But the moment after your death is for all eternity. And then you continue the conversation, but you want to know what the great hope is? You want to know what my hope is? God sent his son who paid the horrible penalty for my sin, dying on the cross, victorious, and all those who put their faith in him will have everlasting life. That's the hope I have. And the person looks at you and goes, wow, I wish I had that. And so how do you give your answer? So Paul says, your actions will lead to questions which lead to your answer. And so he says, answer effectively. And that's what he means, I believe, in verse 5 or verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace. What does he mean by grace? I think three ways that he means this. First of all, that we speak by his grace. 
And that means that I am trusting in his grace and his ability to help me. You ever, you ever find an opportunity to give the gospel and you're scared to death? You ever find that? You feel in your heart that, hey, Lee, you really should go talk to your neighbor. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit nervous to do that. Well, what do we trust in at those moments? God, you're going to take a dirty sinner like me, washed by your blood, and you're going to take all of my weaknesses, and yet somehow through your grace, you're going to work. I trust in you. So we speak by his divine grace. Secondly, we speak forth his grace. And really, this is the message that we speak, is that you are saved by grace alone through the good news of Jesus Christ, nothing else. I remember dealing many years ago when we were in South Dakota, I was just a teenager, and we were re-roofing a building there, a house there, and uh, afterwards I, I was down uh, taking a break, and one of the ladies came out, and we got to talking, and she goes, so what, what are you doing? I said, well, I actually go to Calvary Baptist. We're doing this. And What's your plans? I said, well, eventually I'm going to go to uh, college be a pastor she goes oh I go to church I go really she named the church and then she says as we were talking I said you know it's not church that saves you it's a personal relationship alone and she goes I pay my tithe to the church I know where I'm going I said well good ma'am I'm glad you do that but it's by grace and grace alone through faith alone it's the message and then thirdly, speaking in grace means that we speak in a manner that is gracious and kind. It's kind of hard to believe, but I find when I'm rude to people, they don't necessarily want to listen to what I have to say. And so Paul, when we're speaking the message of grace, we speak the truth in love. And so then fourthly, this brings us to the last point, Speak attractively. Look at what Paul says again in verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace. And look at that last part. Seasoned with salt. And this was a common saying. It was actually a metaphor in that day. Remember, back in that day, they didn't have refrigeration. And so if you wanted to preserve meat from spoiling, from rotting, what would you do? You would pour a bunch of salt on it. And so what would happen? Uh, salt would keep its attraction. It would enhance its attraction. You ever eat meat that's rotten? I'll never forget when we first went to Zambia. This would have been back when we were visiting, uh, back in 2001. And uh, I went to the market with, um, with missionary Phil Hunt. I remember we were looking at some kind of a lamb and flies all over it. And um, he said, well, give me that one. That one looks okay. We get home, we unpackage it. It looks raw. And, of course, at that time, you know, I was a true missionary. I thought, I can eat that. I can eat that. But the attraction of it and the smell of it puts you off. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying is that when you give the witness, enhance the attractiveness and enhance the flavor of your witness. And as believers, when we share the gospel, we do it in a way that reveals Christ as both attractive and savory. 
I mean, I can take a meal, and I can take ingredients, and I can make a meal that doesn't taste very good. It's kind of blah. Or I can take a meal and dress it in such a way that it's savory and delightful to look at. And when you follow Jesus' pattern back in John 3 and John 4, when he's witnessing, he does it in different ways to different people. And I think this is what he's doing. Make it attractive as you're witnessing. Our time is done, but as a close, let me just exhort you to take what Paul is saying serious. We are to engage in gospel ministry first through prayer. Let me just encourage you. We've been talking among the pastoral staff. I do believe God is at work here. But any time God is at work, guess who's also working? Satan. And he will do everything he can to destroy what God is doing. Folks, this is why we need your prayers. Pray. Pray for souls to be saved. Pray for your pastors and when the word goes forth for opportunities to present the truth. And then secondly, you engage in gospel witness as God gives you opportunities. And once again, it's so easy to get distracted with other things. Many churches are distracted with other things. That we forget the essential. That God has charged us to go into the world to give the gospel in order that people may be delivered from the power of darkness and Satan and come to the glorious light of his son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that each of you have come to Christ, that you are on the inside. But if you haven't, don't delay. You can do that now in your seats by just simply praying. You can come talk to one of the pastors or talk to your Sunday school teacher or your life group. But get it taken care of. Let us go forth with this admonition and let us engage in gospel ministry, both through prayer and through our witness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Father, once again, just for the privilege to open up your word. And Father, just to look at the exhortations that you give us. These are not suggestions. These are divine commands that are meant to stimulate, encourage, fill us with joy as we obey them. And so, Father, help us to take Paul's exhortation serious. And Father, if there be one here this morning who has not come to that saving knowledge or that saving relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, Father, would you help them to get that taken care of? Father, we love you. We praise you. And Father, we just glorify you for what you've done for us in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. We'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.